0: Hey guys, this is Justin. In this episode of Excess Returns, Jack and I break down quality and low volatility as investment factors. Based on both the behavioral and risk-based explanations, it's hard to see why quality and low volatility would work. But in this conversation, we discuss some of the theories around why these factors work, how they can be defined, and the potential benefits of combining them with other proven style factors like value. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy the discussion. All right, today we're going to talk about two investment factors, quality and lowball. Um, a lot of investors probably use these in their investment decision-making process, but we're going to try to look at these from a systematic investing point of view and talk about the reasons why they maybe should or shouldn't work. Um, so to start, let's just quickly rehash, and we did this in a, a previous podcast, but what an investment factor is. So remember that um, an investment factor is really just a metric or a strategy that chooses securities based on attributes that have uh, and are associated with higher returns over time. I mean, when we talk about factors, we're mostly talking about style factors. So stocks like value or momentum or size, they have those types of attributes that give those types of securities the potential for excess returns over the market over time. Um, Factors should be persistent, meaning they should hold across long periods of time, they should be pervasive, they should hold across countries, regions or sectors. They should be robust, so that means they should work when using different definitions as how you identify those types of stocks. They should be investable, meaning they should hold up when you actually implement them in the real world. And the last thing, and this is where we'll get into sort of the quality and low vol, is they should be logical um, and they should work because there's a risk-based or behavioral explanation for why the factor premium exists. So that's good jumping off point for quality. I mean, I think maybe on the surface, one might be able to understand why quality stocks should outperform over time, but it really doesn't hold up based on sort of risk-based or behavioral explanations. So maybe just to start, if you want to talk a little bit about how one sort of might define or look at quality, and then we can kind of get into why the quality factor Um, maybe shouldn't work on the surface, but, you know, it seems to when looked at or used in different ways.
1: Yeah. So every factor should have, at least from an academic perspective, should have either a risk-based explanation or a behavioral-based explanation. So there should be some sort of pain you're enduring to follow the factor from a risk-based perspective. And from a behavioral perspective, there should be some reason that people would misprice these securities and I can take advantage of this mispricing. And so when, when you take a step back and look at value and momentum, those explanations are pretty clear, and we've talked about those in other podcasts. When you get into quality and low volatility, it becomes a little bit more challenging. I mean, there, there's no question in the data that both quality and low volatility work over the long term, but trying to explain why they work is much more difficult. So, so for example, am I really taking more risk by buying a bunch of high-quality companies? Probably not. You know, am, am I taking more risk by buying low-volatility companies? By definition, I'm not. And so, and is there a reason people would misprice these stocks? We'll get into it as we talk about each one, but there's not as easy of an explanation as to why people would misprice these things as there is with value and momentum. So these are factors that have definitely proven themselves over time. The academic research backs them up. But some people, and we we talked about this a little bit in our interview with Wes Gray, some people feel like these may not work as well out of sample as they have in the testing because the explanations from a risk-based and behavioral-based standpoint are not as good. As they were, as they are, for value and momentum.
0: When we're talking about quality, I mean, what are some of the factors, uh, specific metrics that you know one could use to define quality, just so we can understand what types of
1: companies we might be talking about from a fundamental perspective. So, getting getting away from like the whole academic definition, the first thing to think about is just it's investing in good quality businesses. You know, and you can think of, you know, when we, with the gurus we follow, if you think about Warren Buffett, you think about good, high-quality companies, and, and that's basically what quality is. Now, in terms of what metrics you can use to do it, there's, there's a lot of different ways. I, I had this quote from AQR um, in terms of how they define it from an academic standpoint. It says, AQR, capital management, has defined the factor QMJ or quality minus junk to be companies with the following traits, low earnings volatility, high margins, high asset turnover indicating efficient use of assets, low financial leverage, low operating leverage, indicating a strong balance sheet and low macroeconomic macro risk, and low stock specific risk. So that's basically what I said but put into academic terms, but you're looking for high quality companies, you're looking for companies that are profitable, you're looking for companies that are consistent over time, you're looking for things like high return on equity, high return on capital. I mean, those are basically what people would consider a quality business, and this is one of the tougher definitions. From a factor standpoint because with something like value it's pretty clear what the metrics you can use are there's many many different ways that people define quality and as you look at all the quantitative firms every one of them seems to have a little bit of a different definition in terms of how they look at quality
0: yeah like when i think of quality you know you might think of like an apple i mean apple is obviously one of the largest companies in the market now but you know a lot of cash on its balance sheet um a strong you know brand name and potential moat, I guess, around the business and other, some of the things that you mentioned, you know, in terms of high profit margins, high return on equity. I mean, those things are reflected in a company like Apple, which would put in that quality, quality camp, I think.
1: Yeah. You know, in looking at the strategies we follow, Buffett is a great example of quality. You know, our our Buffett, our strategy that we base on Buffett has three criteria, consistent earnings growth over 10 years, Consistently high ROE over ten years, consistently high return on total capital over ten years, and that gets at the moat thing you were just discussing. So that that is really a pretty good representation of quality. But other strategies could look at it in a totally different way and maybe maybe come to a little bit different conclusion. So quality is really hard to to nail down. But I think you it's one of those things that you know it when you see it. I think one of the knocks on quality though
0: is because investors realize that these are quality companies, they effectively bid up the price. So they become overvalued based on these quality metrics, and that essentially isn't good from a return perspective. But I don't know if that's true in all cases, but that's, I think, what some of the qual- you know high quality companies tend to attract investor capital. It tends to bid up the prices and the valuations, and therefore the future returns might not be as strong in those quality companies. I don't know if that bears itself out in that's- sort of the academic...
1: Well, that gets back to what we talked about before. What you just described is the reverse of a behavioral definition of why a factor should work. If for a factor to work from a behavioral perspective, we should have some reason why people systematically underprice the stocks. And in this case, you you explained a reason why people might systematically overprice the stocks. And that's why it can be very difficult to explain quality. I mean, there are some explanations for quality. Like, for instance, some people would say that investors tend to focus too much on the short term. And so... They may underprice these stocks that are just sort of these compounders that are growing slowly, you know, over the long term. They may underprice these stocks because they're focused too much on short term metrics. They're not focused on the long term or investors might overstate their own skill. They may try to find like, say, diamonds in the rough versus just buying quality companies and sticking with them. So that's another reason you could say from a behavioral standpoint, people might underprice quality companies. But if you think of those definitions relative to the definite, you know, the behavioral reason that something like value works, those are not nearly as strong. Those are, you know, it seems like we're digging a little bit to try to find a reason why people might misprice these companies, and and that that goes back to the original point, which is it's much harder to do, it's much harder to explain why quality works. It clearly does work, but it's it's much more difficult to go but into to come up with a reason why people might misprice these securities.
0: Yeah, and maybe just the last point on this quality thing is, and West talked. We just interviewed Wes Gray um, last week for our podcast, and one of the things that he talked about is you get some quality exposure through some of these value metrics so you know you might if you use like price to cash flow or uh, you know other other types of value metrics that incorporate sort of a quality component in them i mean high cash flow is typically associated with high quality firms you know you get this qual, you get this embedded quality exposure to some extent through some of these profitability based value metrics
1: Yeah, it's the ones that get at the earnings power of the company. So something like price-to-cash flow or price-to-earnings, there's an embedded quality in there, whereas something like price-to-book, there's actually a negative embedded quality in there. And so that, that is important to consider, and it's a totally different topic for a totally different podcast, but when you look at looking at a value composite relative to individual metrics, you know Wes's point was it's very important to understand how much quality is in each value metric because maybe when you build a value composite, a lot of what you're doing is not getting the benefit from all the different factors. You're getting the benefit of this embedded quality that's in some of these factors.
0: All right. So let's kind of pivot and move on to low volatility. So low volatility is basically stocks. Stocks that exhibit low volatility are stocks that have less volatility than the overall market. And there's different ways that we can uncover stocks with less volatility um, do you want to break down at least two of the more standard ways how you can uncover or at least measure the volatility of stocks
1: yeah you know when we build our factor report for Validia, we we looked at two different things for low volatility one is we looked at standard deviation so stocks with a low standard deviation or lower volatility Um, That's one way to define low volatility. The other way is beta. And and the difference between the two is beta takes into into account how the particular stock moves in in comparison to the market. So standard deviation looks at it on its own. And so if a stock is very volatile, then it's very volatile. But from a beta perspective, a stock could actually be more volatile than the market but could actually be lower risk because it tends to zig when the market's zagging. And so those are sort of two different ways to look at it. One is a standalone way and one is more in conjunction with a portfolio that already holds the market. Um, You know, and either one of them can work. We we put both in our, you know, both in our factor screener, but either one of them can be a good way to define low volatility. I sort of feel like
0: this flips that whole risk and return thing in, in, in finance upside down. I mean, typically we've been, you know, educated and trained to think that the higher risk the higher the potential return but in this case you know with low volatility stocks you actually get basically market-like or maybe even higher returns in the market with less volatility so it really does you know in terms of the risk-based explanation about why a factor works it just doesn't really intuitively make that much
1: sense It's a tougher one to even, you know, it's even tougher than quality to try to explain this. Because if you go back to our our principles from the beginning, are you taking extra risk by investing in low volatility? By definition, you are not. So that you really can't come up with a risk-based explanation. So now we need a behavioral-based explanation. And the most common one is that many investors don't have access to leverage. And so in order to add risk to their portfolio investors that don't have access to leverage will buy these higher beta stocks to try to boost their returns and they then will overprice those high beta stocks and so they're effectively underpricing these lower volatile stocks even though they're less risky so that, that's the best explanation and, and that's a reasonable explanation but again when you look at it relative to value momentum it's, it's a little bit tougher of an explanation to you know to follow than the behavioral explanations for those
0: yeah for the, before um, we jumped on today, I pulled out O'Shaughnessy's fourth edition of What Works on Wall Street. And in chapter, I think, 24, he looks at um, all of the sector performance from, I think it was, let me just see here, from 1967 to 2009. So he basically looks at both the the return of the sector along with the standard deviation of the sector. And what's what's interesting in this is that consumer staples are the best performing sector over that period of time with what is effectively the second least amount of volatility uh, just behind utilities basically. So, I mean, I think one of the things that sort of tends to creep up in these low volatility strategies is you have these, you know, maybe an overweight in in consumer staples or those types of stocks that tend to have, you know, much more stable businesses that can't be disrupted as easily. Um, Like they give the example in, in here that, you know, very few companies might be trying to like, you know, enter, you know, Coca-Cola's market and try to, you know, knock down the moat around Coca-Cola where technology companies are different. You know, you have a lot of innovation and disruption. So I do think, you know, to some extent, some of these, some of these sector um, characteristics sort of show up in here. And that may, that may also be one of the reasons why you see over time sort of low volatility doing better. Um, It was just a thought that jumped out at me.
1: Yeah. And you also touched on, there's definitely some overlap between low volatility and quality. I mean, if you have a company that's a compounder, that's, you know, slowly growing its earnings over time, I mean, but that that stock is likely to be less volatile in the market. And so you get some overlap with some of the other factors. And, you know, another interesting thing, I was listening to an interview, or I was reading an interview with Wes Gray from uh, Rubico that he did this week. And he also talked about how low volatility may be a function of combining cheap stocks with quality. And so his quote was, I believe that a cheap quality portfolio will act similarly to a low vol beta portfolio most of the time. So setting aside minutiae arguments, I think it is probably close to six of one, half a dozen of the other. However, I fundamentally believe in the risk behavior arguments underlying value over the arguments underlying low volatility. And so, so what he's getting at of there is maybe, you know, low volatility, maybe there's some other things explaining why low volatility works. Maybe it is a blend of quality and value that works. And, and Larry Suedro has talked about this a little bit too. He's talked about how if, if you look at the excess return of low volatility over the long term, the vast majority of that excess return comes when it was cheap. So a lot of that excess return and low volatility is coming, for, coming at a time where low volatility and value sort of came together. So, you know, that, that could be an explanation as well.
0: What do you think from a more just practical standpoint, what, you know, should be sort of the takeaway here for your investor that's, you know, looking or using factors to some extent um, when thinking about quality and low vol?
1: Well, first of all, I mean, I I think we've we've been somewhat negative about them here but the, the evidence is pretty clear they work so i mean they are they are factors that probably should play a role to some degree in people's portfolios because the academic research to back them up with the long term is very strong you know the way i like to use them and i think Wes got at this a little bit too is i think they probably work better in conjunction with some of the other factors so if, if you look at value and momentum as sort of the the factors that have the best explanations and the best long-term data to support them well blending value with quality is a great strategy. Um, you know, whether you believe it's negative quality where you just filter out the worst companies or whether you believe it's you know, blending value with positive quality, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that adding some quality in some way to a value portfolio makes sense. So I think in a lot of ways, using these with the other factors can be, you know, can be a very good use of them. And by the way, when I think of all the guru
0: strategies we run, I mean, basically the vast majority are using some type of blend or combination of, if, if, if they're value strategies, you know, value and quality. But I don't know if we run, I mean, Greenblatt is r- return on capital and earnings yield. You know, Graham is basically using valuation metrics along with the current ratio and, you know, other things that try to get at whether the, the company's quality, has quality, you know, in its fundamentals. I mean, you could go on and on and down the list. I mean, I think, so That that's an important thing is, you know, these types of factors whether you're talking quality or low volatility, you know, oftentimes are are you know used best when or combined with other investment factors, like many of the models we run and a
1: lot of these other things we've talked about. And in the real world, that's what you see. You know, if we look at every manager, whether they're quantitative or not that we follow, I can't tell you one that says buy cheap stocks with value and do nothing else. Everybody has some degree of something they're doing. You know, wh- whether they use a quant strategy or not, to try to couple. Quality. try to either filter out bad companies with quality or, you know, invest in companies that have good quality. That that is pretty much something everybody does. So quality is a really important factor. I I tend to think it should be used in conjunction with other ones and you shouldn't just buy high quality companies no matter how expensive they are, but some people will disagree with me. But either way, it's used used widely by almost everybody.
0: Great. Okay. So I think that's a good way to end it. Um, Thank you guys for listening and we will see you next week. Thank you. Hi, guys. This is Justin again. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Excess Returns. You can follow Jack on Twitter at, at PracticalQuant and follow me on Twitter at, at JJCarbono. If you found this discussion interesting and valuable, please subscribe in either iTunes or on YouTube or leave a review or a comment. We appreciate it.